Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jacqueline Thornhill, and I am honored to serve as the 97th president. Our club focuses on youth, children's literacy, and we support our active duty military and veterans. We meet on Thursdays at Lowry's at noon. For more information, please visit LasVegasRotary.com or follow us on Facebook at Las Vegas Rotary Club founded 1923, where you can watch a live stream of our weekly meetings. Please enjoy this week's speaker. Good afternoon, fellow Rotarians. It's, uh, wow. Kudos to Karen, right? No. I think it was, uh, yeah, now, yeah, now that everybody's paying attention. Um, it, it is a pleasure for me to introduce my brother, Roger Thomas. This is the third time Roger has spoken, and I think I'm competing with your designs, Roger, in the music, but somehow it started. Um, Roger's career now spans 40 years designing the remarkable hotels, casinos, restaurants, and, and public spaces that started uh, with the downtown Golden Nugget, where Roger and his partner, Stephen Elaine Wynn, joint could compete with the mega resorts on the Strip. And then it went to the Mirage Hotel, where the pundits declared it could never be profitable. It was too elegant, too ornate. It was profitable from day one, and it proved to the rest of the gaming industry that you didn't have to give comps and free stuff to get tourists to come to Las Vegas and enjoy what we had to offer. If they hadn't already broken all of the design elements of the casino industry, they broke the bank with the Bellagio, which again, with its opulence, with its grandeur, changed the dynamics of gaming in Las Vegas and required everybody else to up the bar and follow suit. The Bellagio instantly became the most profitable hotel in the world. And then the next phase, the Wynn and the, re the Encore Resorts, and of that, Roger's going to speak uh, today. Let me just finish uh, my introduction with uh, Steve Wynn's own words in an uh, interview with the New York Magazine in 2012, Steve said, trying to separate Roger from whatever credit I've received in my lifetime is ridiculous. Roger's impeccable taste and his creativity are 60% of the success Wynn Resorts has experienced. This is my brother, Roger Thomas. Thank you, Tom. That's how I got the reputation as the $18 billion designer. 60% of the take. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna talk today about uh, Encore Boston Harbor, which was a project, is a project, we just opened, uh, in June of this year. It's very near and dear to my heart because 
Uh, I escaped the state of Nevada to go to college in Boston. I'd gone to high school in uh, northern Michigan when it was suggested strongly that I leave the state of Nevada. One of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, and I went from there to uh, the School of the Museum of Fine Arts Boston where I completed my education and have a degree from the uh, from Tufts University, which is in the Berg right next to Everett, where we built this hotel. I'm also particularly pleased to talk about this hotel because right about the time we were starting the design of this hotel, uh, a young man showed up, a Boston boy who had been uh, schooled at Cornell, who is with me today, Alex Woodmaster, who was my colleague on the entire design of this hotel. So all the good stuff is Alex. All the stuff that looks like you've seen it before, that's me. Uh, this is, as you saw from the first slide, this is on the Mystic River. It's in a small town called Everett. One would ask why you would build a hotel in Boston in Everett. Well, Everett was one of the most depressed economies, one of the oldest, most abused, uh, extra urban spaces of all of Boston. It's just north of the Boston uh, Civic Center. It's really a 10-minute drive, but nobody went there. Uh, because there was no reason to go there. It was, uh, its industrial history had failed, it was over. Uh, and so it was really no longer a destination for much of anything. I drove through Everett to get to Medford to go to school, and then I drove through Everett. It was a drive-through place. It isn't anymore. It is now this wonderful destination. And you can arrive there in many ways, but the best way is to go to the Boston waterfront and take one of our bespoke boats uh, over uh, for a real um, e-ticket ride. So this is it on the Mystic River. This was an extremely toxic site. The first thing Wynn Resorts did was invest $70 million in cleanup. This site was riddled with arsenic. The entire river uh, in this area was completely dead. Nothing had grown for uh, over 70 years. Uh, anybody who was foolish enough to jump in the water, and many remember doing that, and this part of the Mystic River came out with a coating of yellow arsenic on them. Uh, it is now a living and viable and vibrant and healthy riverside. Uh, and if I'm proud of building this, that's kind of the best part of it. Uh, so we enter, we were asked, um, to recreate Win Las Vegas. Uh, and that was an honor to do. We had thought of producing a completely new and different uh, concept for Massachusetts, something that spoke more to the history of Massachusetts, something a little more sensitive to their heritage. Uh, but we were asked by the State Gaming Control Board to specifically reproduce Win Las Vegas. They chose uh, Win Resorts for the license because of Win Las Vegas. Uh, which, of course, was a little bit music to my ears. Uh, but we didn't have a site that any way resembled Wynn Las Vegas. Uh, building Wynn Las Vegas there would be a failure in many ways. The size of the tower for, uh, for a beginner was too big. The size of the public space, likewise. Uh, the casino would be ill-configured for the needs of this. So we started over again. Uh, but Steve Wynn, in my career with him, said, you know, if we do this enough times, we're going to get this right one day. Uh, and I think maybe just possibly we did. 
Uh, this is my last resort. I retire at the end of this year. I've had a spectacular 40-year career. Uh, I was... Um, I, I had the great luck of falling in with the Medici family of Las Vegas, the Winds, uh, and so I've had patronage like nobody else has had in a great career, and uh, all that old thing about quit while you're ahead, just watch me. Uh, so one of the things we learned that we got right was when we built Bellagio, we had the atrium after the lobby big mistake. We should have entered you through the atrium. So we fixed that here. This is a two-story atrium. This is the first thing you see after the port cochere. Uh, and it has a merry-go-round or a carousel like the one that's here in Las Vegas, except that this is 11 horses. The one here in Las Vegas is four horses. This one, as you can see, has a pegasus. It has a hippocamp and it has a unicorn. Uh, so Preston Bailey, a uh, good friend and partner, created this, but it was built here in Las Vegas uh, by Scott Acton in a company called Forte, who have built a lot of our most ambitious and difficult things to build, because Scott always says, yeah, we can figure that out. Uh, another view back towards the Port Cochere, you're looking at the Port Cochere roof, uh, and this is not trick photography, this is a two-story space with an upper level. We've never done that before in our resort history. We've never opened uh, two levels within view of each other. We always believe in creating the most intimate spaces possible, and two stories has always been a challenge that we didn't want to realize before. Uh, but we were faced with it this time, and I think we met that challenge. So this exquisite garden, uh, off which is the registration lobby with this uh, 1986 Charles Arnaldi uh, piece that was acquired specifically for the project called Billion. Uh, I haven't talked to Chuck about why he named it that. It didn't cost that, fortunately. Uh, but this is where our resort guests check in. And you can see that it ha shares some of the language, the once upon a time contemporariness of Wynn Las Vegas, uh, which is our... Um, our focus, uh, but it is not identical. Uh, <clears throat> Alex, like myself, was trained in the history of art and architecture, and so he first sets about setting up rooms of classical proportion with perfect symmetry uh, that are really elegant and easy per to perceive and that feel right. Uh, Palladio got it right 500 years ago. His proportions were perfect. They are the proportions that make humans feel both grand and intimate at the same time. Uh, and so understanding that, Alex was very much in control of a lot of these things. If you turn to the left, you see the concierge desk uh, with one of those collections of things that uh, we accumulate to uh, make you ask the question, what the hell? Uh, so we circumnavigated the globe uh, four times for this project. Uh, we go every year around the world to find things that no one else wants or that no one else has seen or that no one else was, had thought appropriate. Uh, and we acquire those things and assemble them and then put them together into a kind of magical, whimsical, strange and what the hell combinations. Uh, we also have a tower suites there. As you know, the wind tower 
uh, or don't know, is actually two complete hotel systems, both a resort hotel and a tower suite hotel. It just looks like one tower, uh, but there are two separate uh, towers. So Tower Suites has its own uh, registration and entrance. It's a bit elevated, smaller, a bit more discreet. Artifacts that we collected that don't, aren't supposed to belong together, these beautiful 18th century Baroque uh, pieces that used to adorn a piece of architecture somewhere else and have a new life. Uh, and a pair of very large obelisks by an artisan in Paris named Thomas Boog, who still practices uh, the art form of coquillage, uh, making art from seashells and does it better than anyone in the world. Off that is a little private place to get a snack or a cup of tea. Uh, and this is one of my favorite rooms in the space because it took us nearly 18 hours to hang that mirror in the middle of the picture because it's hanging from a drapery rod on top of a tapestry over a sofa. Uh, it was complete acrobatics. We'd never done it before. We didn't know if we could do it. Obviously, we can. Uh, but we had to invent this, and that's one of the things that we do at Wind Design and Development. Uh, we try to create things that have never been seen before. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you've been to Wynn Las Vegas here, you know of the parasol up and down area with the curved escalators. You don't see many of those. Caesars has them also. Uh, but it almost takes a casino to pay for them because they are 10 times the cost of a straight escalator. Wow. 10 times. Uh, and so Steve had the great idea to make it more of an e-ticket. Uh, and instead of just enclosing a space, let people nearly run into themselves as they're coming and going up this. And so it does that. You are, are actually staring at the people coming down at you as you were going up and then wondering for the other half of the ride where they were going. Uh, this is uh, the, the center that is behind the uh, carousel that you saw. Up on the left is the garden cafe and up on the right is a garden bar lounge and straight ahead is high limit land. It's also a two-level casino, something we'd never done before. This is a Viola Fry, uh, very large, huge-scale sculpture. She's a very important Bay Area artist, no longer with us, uh, that we collected at auction. It's an amphora like a Greek amphora. It has the gods of our time on the amphora rather than the gods of ancient Greek. So it's a businessman chasing a pretty girl. Uh, this is the Garden Cafe upstairs. You'll recognize some of the chandeliers if you know our work here in Las Vegas. Uh, I developed a wall cover that you can see up on the soffit specifically for this hotel because I couldn't afford the pleated silk in my budget. Building in Massachusetts is really expensive. We think that building in Las Vegas has reached a zenith. Try building something in New England. Uh, so this beautiful cafe overlooks all of the excitement of that wonderful garden and was inspired by a trip Alex and I made to a wonderful restaurant on the Boulevard Saint-Germain called Vaginen that's been there since the beginning of the 20th century and had this lyrical kind of wonderful uh, inclusion of mirrors and curvy stuff in it uh, that we extrapolated and brought to Boston. Another view of that room. Mirrors everywhere, so if you're unfortunately seated facing the wall, you too can be a voyeur. I'm always the guy stuck facing the wall, which is why I always put mirrors on walls in dining rooms. Uh, the chandeliers in this room are from Society at Encore Las Vegas, a restaurant that had been very successful, but got replaced with a poker room. I always loved the chandeliers, so we kept them, and they colored the room. This is the high limit uh, slot area that's directly next door. 
right next to it. So you can sit rail side, uh, watch everybody coming and going, uh, and enjoy a cocktail, listen to the piano music. Deep into the bar. The colors of the garden uh, and of those chandeliers informed this bar as well. And we did something that we uh, often do. Uh, when we have all kinds of gack on the ceiling, you can see some round air conditioning vents. I like to disguise them with other things that are round. So we have this wonderful set of catalogs of uh, historic rosettes. And the usual question when a designer is going through a catalog and picking a rosette is, which one? Mine is, which one don't you use? We used all of them. If they were the right size and they were the right thickness, we just took 10 of each. Often that's the answer for us um, in our profession. It's not which, it's all. Nothing succeeds like excess. Uh, back to a little lounge area for, this is for just a few slot machines and something that Massachusetts has never seen. Uh, Massachusetts has not known high limit gaming, but Boston now has uh, daily round trip flights to Beijing. And almost any place that has that plus the attraction of all of those students from China uh, in one of the 55 colleges in the Boston area has parents who can afford to send their children to a college in England, uh, attending to their children, and we know that the Chinese love uh, a high limit gaming room, so we're okay with providing that. One of the things that uh, in this circumnavigation we acquired uh, the pieces that are in this cluster in the elevator lobby over several trips and often I'll see something that's really attractive and really fetching but it's so big that I can't figure out, it. I don't, it's not on my list, I can't figure out how to use it. Well, no one can figure out how to use it. Nobody has it on their list. You buy it, and then you figure out a way to use it. Uh, including uh, the light fixture on the right-hand side was acquired for Win Las Vegas. It used to be in Bartolota, now Costa del Mare. And when I redid that room, we carefully packed it. I have scotch in my blood. Save everything. I bring an entirely new definition to recycled material. Our guest rooms there are very much like the guest rooms here. They're almost identical in color and chroma, but none of the guest rooms here has a view of downtown Boston, which is what you're seeing beyond this sweet window. Same bathtubs and beautiful elegance. Some, some elegant uh, motifs that we brought from what we learned at the Kotai Palace, our $4.5 billion project in China that Alex also uh, authored much of, uh, and one of the double queens from that area. And then our spa here, uh, which does have a little nod to New England. It's got fireplaces. Um, I spent a lot of winters in New England, and the first thing I thought of when I thought of a spa was let's get them warm on their way in. And so we uh, installed a beautiful lounge. This one heavily influenced by Todd Avery Lenahan's work at Encore Las Vegas and the extraordinary spa he did there. Uh, Todd Avery Lenahan, uh, some of you may know, Tal Studios, is my successor. He's already started, uh, and he'll take my seat with Alex being his creative director. And the wet area for that space, one wall of drapery, one wall of tile, one wall of mirror over rain chains. Simple. Uh, and this is the area where you would relax before and or after. 
Uh, and this is, again, one of my pieces of furniture that was designed with one of my dog's hind legs. Uh, this is the Bianca chaise. I had a pair of Italian greyhounds, and the first one got a chaise designed after her. And the corridor, again, a real nod to Todd Lenahan uh, and his work with this exquisite peacock embroidery that we found at the end, uh, and some magnificent uh, mineral specimens that we found right here in Las Vegas. Murano glass chandeliers, because who's going to not go to Venice to have chandeliers made? Um, that's where I live now part of the year, so it's insistent. And this is, if, you're, uh, if you get one of the, if you, if you don't get one of the first treatment rooms, you have to take a right and you have to go down this awful corridor to one of the uh, junior treatment rooms. And our beauty salon, which is uh, very informed by the salon here, except this one has a view at the end of the salon of the Mystic River and the Boston skyline beyond, which is uh, where I like to get my hair cut. You're looking from that view back to the entry. So, this is a two-story, double-level, double-height casino. And some of you who know the history of our work and have seen what we've done may recognize these red chandeliers. Uh, they were originally stalled in the casino of Encore Las Vegas. But when we lifted that casino, took out some drapery, modernized it, improved sight lines, the chandeliers were in the way. This represents the largest single order of, Mor of Rubino red glass ever on the island of Murano. Rubino red glass is uh, known on Murano because it's the most costly glass. It is, it, to make it requires powdered 24 karat gold in the mix heated to the proper temperature, cooled to the proper temperature, and then brought back up again, and it creates this magic Rubino red. So we had packed them all up. I, I wouldn't let them get rid of them. It cost as much to pack them and ship them practically as to make them again, but there they are, uh, and they're very happy in their new home, and they help create a ceiling overhead that's lower than the actual ceiling. They make a sense of space uh, that we couldn't have accomplished otherwise. They lower the experience, they make it more intimate, and they add color and interest. So this is a view from the top of the escalators all the way down to the rest of the casino. The buffet, which is at one end of the casino, there's the casino view of the buffet, enters on a collection of Baroque gilded objects. Uh, this mirror is over nine feet tall. And it has much of the quality of the buffet you know here in Las Vegas, including these extraordinary floral topiary events that Todd Lenahan imagined for the space. Uh, but it is Todd Lenahan's architecture and some of his imaginings with our redo of his space. So it's, uh, we, we like to build things really well the first time. We like to figure out the proportions perfectly, make classical backgrounds. And then when we redo them, all we really have to do is take care of the soft furnishings. It was a rag job, as Steve called it. And we have a Dunkin' Donuts. There was a Dunkin' Donuts on the property, and in order to buy the Dunkin' Donuts, this very shrewd Dunkin' Donuts franchise owner said, I'll sell you the property, but only if I get a franchise in it is. We designed a Dunkin' Donuts, a Dunkin'. I think it's the only Dunkin' with uh, marble floors and mahogany appointments in it in uh, known. 
this is a version of Allegro here in Las Vegas that is called Fratelli. Two famed Boston restaurateurs, both Italian, both with extraordinary restaurants uh, in the North End and Central Boston came together to do this restaurant. We had already designed it. Uh, but it is, the food is transportational. You can close your eyes and you can be anywhere in Italy uh, enjoying the food. But it has, uh, again, the same language that we used here that was so popular that we brought it there. Except this is a new chair I've designed. I've designed a series of four-hour dining chairs because the older I get, the more time I spend at a dining table. So that's one of them. That's called the Milano. Red 8 is also uh, brought from here, but changed greatly in the way we expressed it. It has some of the feelings of Red 8 from Wynn Las Vegas. Uh, it's much larger, it's much lighter, it's much brighter. And it's situated comfortably under the high limit gaming area with an elevator access directly upstairs. Because if you need noodles, you need noodles. Uh, and then this is our on-deck burger bar, which is upstairs opposite a nightclub called Memoir that is not in my portfolio because it was designed by um, a uh, consulting group who are also running it. Uh, but the on-deck burger bar took its genesis from Charlie's here on the casino in Las Vegas. It has different seating and a different field, but you cannot put more televisions to watch. I know we tried. <laughs> I'm waiting for the first complaint. There aren't enough televisions in this room. <laughs> we also expanded our poker offering there. I think we have 90 tables in our poker room in, uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, and they're very busy. And some of them have wonderful views over the casino. This is a peninsula in the middle of this two-story casino. So to make the casino feel smaller, we took this huge barn of a two-story space and put two peninsulas coming into it to separate it, divide and conquer, in two so that we could do it. You can see the overlook there of the rest of the casino from some of the tables. Right there, you're on the edge. This particular table is looking across at the other peninsula, which is the high limit gaming, which you're now seeing. So this is directly off of that garden atrium. It has the same carpet and the same chair fabric as the high limit gaming here, but the experience is entirely different. All of the tables are seated on edges where you can wander to a balcony railing and overlook the action down below. All of the private rooms are off one corridor, and if you're going to send somebody who deserves a private gaming room down a corridor, you better make a great corridor. Uh, so this is that dramatic little travel to get you to a Baccarat table, to one of these rooms. Or one of these with a Juliet balcony overlooking down below. I found that those of us who get to be in exclusive places always like to look down on those who are not. <laughs> Sinatra is another version of uh, a restaurant that we did of the one here. I just read that Theo Schumacher, uh, Schoenacher, uh, who was our original opening chef at uh, Sinatra Las Vegas, is back. I know I'm going, his food is extraordinary. So we designed this room with much of the same vocabulary, but Alex and I actually, and it was a challenging room, it had columns in all the wrong places, everything about the architecture. 
had to work really hard to get it to be justified and feel right, and we both feel this is the better room. The first one was maybe a little too easy for us. But a, a great space right off the uh, carousel atrium. And you know, it was, it was not originally going to be called Sinatra, this concept, uh, with a lot of orange and black in the concept, Frank Sinatra's favorite colors. Uh, it was about two months before we opened Sinatra Las Vegas that Steve said, we're going to call it Sinatra. I just bought the name from the girls, uh, meaning Tina and Nancy. Uh, and so uh, I thought it was particularly fitting that it had black and orange accents when those were Frank's very favorite colors. The Oyster Bar is exactly, uh, is exactly that. It's where you can get any wonderful uh, oysters. Uh, we had Thomas Boog, the coquillage uh, artist, create this sectioned fish as the focus of the room. Uh, and the other focus is the marble that is on this uh, sit-up uh, console to watch your shucking happen is some of the most extraordinary specimen marble we've ever found. We did the entire room just around the marble. And the walls you see are kind of a, a, a light off-white color. It's a crackler, polished, uh, uh, handmade wall cover, which we, we, Alex and I, didn't think was quite right. So we tea-stained the entire wall. Twenty of us went in with vats of tea bags, uh, hundreds and hundreds of them, and tea-stained the walls, because we had nothing better to do while we were installing two million feet. Uh, the waterfront uh, is a great craft beer and cocktail offering. Uh, that cage that you see in closing it is completely open to the energy of its hallway around it. Uh, and if you look very carefully up at the top of the roof, there are some HVAC vents. Another thing that we did, we had these HVAC vents uh, that created these kind of dark holes, so we hand-wrapped various thicknesses of copper wire at random around a tube and pushed these cylinder textures of copper wire into the HVAC vents. Again, we had nothing better to do. Uh, and this is one of those floors where we wanted a lot of energy in the room, so we were picking a very active pattern tile and said, which one? All of them. The ceiling was, uh, I, we first did uh, at Picasso here in Las Vegas, if you know it, inspired by some of the restaurants uh, in the south of France that Picasso actually left art in, uh, in trade for food. So the meeting and convention space is colored like our encore space. It is a glass of champagne. Uh, so, and a glass of champagne is uh, perfect for any meeting or celebration. Uh, we found this series of early 19th century woodblock prints, Parisian woodblock prints, of the story of Cupid and Psyche, a very famous uh, series of decorative woodblock prints at auction. We bought all of them and restored them uh, and brought them to Boston because it was an academic thing to do and it's an academic kind of town. With the same breath, we bought Picasso. To, we brought uh, Popeye to town. So you may. Uh, before here in Las Vegas in front of the Encore Theater. This is Jeff Koons's uh, extraordinary figure. This was made as a replica of a small toy about three and a half inches, or was it five or six inches, doesn't matter, owned by Jeff's son. And he was playing with the Popeye figure with his son when he said, I wonder what this would look like 
in polished stainless steel, full height. So there it is, with a wonderfully mad kind of strange cabinet that uh, we found behind it uh, by an American designer named James Mont, who was uh, working in Chicago and had a particular affinity for Chinese inspiration. It's one of a kind. Held nothing uh, cabinet, but sure looked good in that space. Uh, one of the things I want to point out also is you can kind of see some light fixtures in the background on the left and right. This is the first time, I believe, in casino space where the entire sound system is at ear level. This took an enormous amount of invention. Uh, so instead of coming from the ceiling where it has for years and years and years and years in every hotel casino or every hotel in the world, that's where we always stick our speakers. They're in this room now. We brought them down to be at ear level, and so we created light fixtures uh, and other disguises for them. They're everywhere, but they're not seen. They're just heard. Uh, one of our meeting and convention spaces, uh, and you can recognize that, uh, that area. This is the boardroom in the executive offices, which is available for any of you who are visiting and have a very important meeting and want to be well catered. We'll be happy to rent this to you. Uh, and the largest single-span ballroom in all of New England. This is larger than the Waldorf Astoria ballroom, uh, which was the largest in capacity, uh, but was that capacity because it had balconies. Uh, this is the largest single-span in all of New England. The only meeting space of its size is uh, a convention hall downtown. But for a hotel ballroom, this is it and the patio of that ballroom. So Alex and I were there when they were installing that chandelier overhead. It's about the size of a Tesla, that <laughs> chandelier. It's gigantic, and the uh, cords that hold it are not as big around as my arm as I thought they were going to be. They're as big around as my leg. Uh, so we're not afraid of scale. We're just sometimes surprised by it. And that's a view from this beautiful oval event lawn uh, back onto that balcony in a night view of the Encore Boston Harbor and its night sky. We wanted to ennoble, uh, we believe that you should live with art, that everybody should live with art and with beautiful things and that it should be everywhere. And you should just come, that shouldn't be a formalized uh, experience. It should be something that you just wander by. So one of the things we did when we got the Riverside, the Riverside Walk to be live and attractive is we created a harbor walk. You can bicycle and ride and walk and do all kinds of things there. Uh, and so we put these three mystical Homi Plenza sculptures uh, on the walk. They're a satin-finished uh, stainless steel. One is his wife, one is his daughter, and one is, don't know, uh, uh, but they are uh, about seven and a half feet tall and quite magical. So, if we have time for questions, I'm happy to take some. But that's it. Yes, sir. With uh, Mr. Wynn for quite some time. Um, can you kind of give me a quick overview or give us a quick overview? The golf course, they retired it here and then they're unretiring it. Do you have any insight on that? So uh, I've known Steve Wynn since I was 13. Uh, Tom and my he was the oldest brother in a family of four brothers. He was the fifth. 
Uh, so we grew up with him. So yeah, I've known him for a while. And the story on the golf course is the golf course was going to become a large lagoon with another resort setting around it. History, having a wonderful sense of humor, conspired to have the guy whose vision was going to be realized with that particular lagoon leave the company. And with that vision and that ability to complete this many, many billion dollar project, uh, we decided to return to the golf course. Uh, because those who are now uh, in charge of the company didn't have the connections to attract the kinds of relationships that were needed to complete it. That will happen. It will happen in the future. We own all those documents. We can build a lagoon anytime we want. We're ready. Uh, but we decided that the golf course was wonderful. We've just doubled the size of our convention space at Wynn Las Vegas. And so it was important to re-landscape uh, the golf course because the entire convention space expansion and much of the other convention space that exists has a view of that golf course. So the country club reopens this month, next month. It's eminent. We're redoing locker rooms and refreshing. It gave us a chance to do all the things you need to do when golf courses get to be 15 years old. So it'll be... Yes, sir. Oh, that's our back pocket. We call that Wynn West. The question is, what about the old frontier property on the west side of uh, Wynn Las Vegas across the Strip? Uh, that is going to have plans going ahead, not under my tenure. Uh, so Todd and Alex have already started talking about things. We've already got some proposals and plans. Uh, but it's going to require some real discussion about what it wants to be and what's happening. As you may or may not know, there are two mega resorts that will be opening in the next few years. Uh, one just to the north of that property and one to the north across the street when the fountain blow finally uh, gets where it's supposed to go. Uh, and so we're going to, right now the, the thought is that we'll wait a minute and see what tr happens traffic-wise and otherwise with those resort openings, since we have a minute. Thank you all. Roger, thank you so much. What an exquisite hotel. I'd like to present you with our Share What You Can Award, which you give to all of our speakers, which means we're going to give a donation to the local USO in your name. In the words of a woman I most admire, Amelia Earhart, no kind action ever stops with itself. One kind action leads to another. Let's live today, leave today, building connections, taking kind action, serving one another, and rejoicing in the fellowship of Rotary. Meeting adjourned. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from the Las Vegas Rotary Club. For more information about future meetings, membership, and our local service projects, please visit lasvegasrotary.com. Now please go out, take action, and connect the world.